515. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com. On the show today, Today, my top five noteworthy trailers from San Diego Comic-Con 2018, as well as a review of the suspense sci-fi movie Europa Report, which is free right now at TubiTV.com, T-U-B-I-TV.com, and a look back at Nintendo Power Magazine, thanks to Archive.org. Plus, a few initial thoughts about the massive update titled Next for the video game No Man's Sky. All right, lots to talk about. Let's get to it. Every now and then people ask me what's on my mind, so I thought I'd take a minute to answer that question. Uh, Now, pay attention, please, because I don't think I can do this more than once. All right, this part is my parietal lobe, and if I dig back in here, I can pull out some of my occipital. Mm, And I don't know what this part is, but whenever I touch it, I smell peanut butter. I don't even know what I want to call this. The the top five most noteworthy... Are these all trailers? They are. They're all trailers. <laughs> trailers. <laughs> From uh, San, Diego, San Diego Comic-Con 2018. Uh, I was going to do a top ten list, but I was just like, that's that's too easy. There's, there wasn't just a, a ton of stuff that was really grabbing my attention and getting me excited. And so I was like, let's... And I was also a little short on time. So I was like, let's narrow this down to five. And that was a little more... That, that I was actually a, a lot more tough. There were things that didn't make my list here that uh, I, I, maybe are on yours. And I'd love to hear you share those in the comments. But uh, let's get down to, from five down to one, the top five most noteworthy trailers. I say noteworthy because I'm not necessarily excited about all these things. But I find, I at the very least, find them very interested. Interesting. Crap. All right, let's get started. Number five. Boom! Mother trucker! DC is doing this, like, DC universe product that uh, people can subscribe to, like Netflix. Everyone's doing their own Netflix these days. And you can get access to a bunch of comic books and a bunch of animated TV shows and animated movies and uh, live-action movies. Uh, All of these things, of course, with DC characters. And an exclusive to this DC Universe streaming service is Titans, which is about the Teen Titans. And you can, you know, just watching the trailer, you can tell, okay, this is... If it's not about the Teen Titans, then it's about the definitely the young 20-something Titans at at most. Um, And they're obviously going for a much darker vibe here. There's more blood, there's more violence, there's an F-bomb. And, you know, I like 
dark superhero fiction. That typically is what I'm drawn to. Maybe more specifically, I'm drawn to serious superhero fiction, which these days, usually, if something is going to uh, have an absence of jokes in a superhero movie, it's also going to be very dark and grim. I don't necessarily, I guess, you know, want something that's dark and grim. I do oftentimes like that because I feel like dark and uh, heavy circumstances highlight the nature of evil and build in me as a viewer a desire for justice, a desire for the, these wrong things to be made right. And so it makes those moments of heroism uh, so much more impactful to me as I'm taking in superhero fiction. So, uh, But in this case, I'm like, I don't know, I'm still getting a whole lot of CW vibes off of this trailer. And... I'm wondering if the, the, the darkness and the F-bomb and the violence and the blood and stuff is just going to be in there to be edgy for the sake of being edgy rather than really trying to tell a powerful story, you know? Um, it, being edgy and being dark and... Well, let me put it this way. Um, creating content that is for mature audiences only doesn't necessarily make that content mature. And I guess that's what I'd really like, is something that in a more mature and sophisticated way, a more, uh, uh, I guess, world-savvy way, or or I don't even know what the word I'm looking for, just something that has a wiser perspective on life. I know I'm asking a lot from Hollywood right now. <laughs> um, but I would like something that wrestles... Superhero fiction wrestles with those themes of good and evil, or at least it has the, the, the foundation for it so readily there uh, that, I, that I would really prefer that they handle those topics with more uh, philosophical maturity is maybe what I'm asking for. I'm not sure. But anyway, I'll just be very curious to see what this thing, thing is. I, I like what I'm seeing visually. Um, I like what they seem to be aiming for in terms of like the darkness and the seriousness and some of the weight, but I'm just looking at, it just has that CW vibe. I can't quite put my finger on. Maybe it has something to do with how they do the hair and makeup for these, you know, pretty boys and pretty girls. Uh, maybe it has something to do with their performance styles. I don't know what it is, but there's a CW-ness about this that I think will probably be a big turnoff despite them aiming, it seems like, for some things that I might really connect with. I don't know. It all comes down to really what the uh, what what they do with the script. You know, uh, I, I like stylistically a lot of what I'm seeing, but I, I'm just gonna wait and see what other people say about this. You know, <laughs> if anybody actually gets that subscription service, I'm sure a bunch of people will. Anyway, uh, all right, moving on. Number four. <laughs> now, from what I understand, a lot of people have dropped off from The Walking Dead. Uh, I'm not one of those people. I uh, We stopped getting cable a number of years ago, but I have been faithfully either buying the Blu-ray seasons as they come out or buying one episode at a time, each episode of the series of The Walking Dead um, on uh, on Amazon. And uh, I, I've really remained interested in the stories that they're telling. And I think especially once Negan was introduced, uh, they they kind of like derailed it from the the pattern they had been in for a couple of years. 
of like finding a place where oh maybe this is where we can settle down and then all, all the crap hits the fan and then they wander for a while and then they find another place oh maybe this is the place we can settle down I feel like they went through three or four places maybe even that they thought they could this maybe will be the place they can settle down and have a life in and they broke that cycle with Negan they settled down in a place and they still had to deal with stuff so they weren't wandering anymore they uh, they, they were leaning more you know into uh, other human beings as the greatest enemy which the, they had started doing prior to that but uh, with the introduction of Negan they really leaned into that a lot and I, I, did, I made a video about Negan when he was initially introduced because he was introduced in such a uh, a heavy and intense way I mean I, I just was asking myself how will we as viewers ever feel like justice is served against this villain Negan um, without it going to some places that it really shouldn't. I mean, I, I just, yeah, I, I've been wondering to myself, how are they gonna, how are they gonna do this? What do they think is gonna, gonna be some kind of catharsis for viewers at the end of Negan's story? And we still don't know. There was a moment last season where they certainly could have done that, closed that plot line, and taken Negan out of the plot and dealt with him and, you know, killed him or whatever. They didn't do that. They did something different, which I find very interesting. And this, the trailer for season nine, season nine, can you believe it? We are on season nine, my gosh. Uh, the trailer for season nine looks like it's, uh, it, like a whole bunch is going to be changing about the status quo, about, uh, it looks like Maggie's going to be coming to the forefront a whole lot more. And uh, there, it's been confirmed that Andrew Lincoln, who plays kind of that main dad, I can't remember his name now, <laughs> <laughs> that's gosh what does that say um but uh, it looks like this is going to be his last season which does that mean what they're you know reading between the lines it's the last season of all for walking dead um maybe not i don't know i think it's i think his arc has to be about done because he's we the only i mean we only have judith really in uh, in his life uh now and um and she hasn't been fleshed out enough for his uh, role as a father to really play as strongly as it did, or his role as a husband um, when his uh, wife and son were still in the story, you know. So, um, so I think that like his arc is kind of played out at this point. But I don't know what what I'd like to see them do is yes, change things up like they're doing, but then either end it or really make some big changes that will just change the nature of the show altogether. Like I was reading somewhere that. Uh, Fear the Walking Dead, that kind of spin-off series, has gone through some major changes to the point where, like now, it's almost kind of they fast-forwarded to catch up to the timeline of the main the main Walking Dead series, and in some ways, it's being compared to a western now. I'm like, what in the world? They must have been doing some crazy stuff over there. I feel like for the main Walking Dead series to continue to have like two more seasons after this, this season is when they're really going to have to almost kind of remake the show and and redefine what this show is, which I think they. They've arguably started to do, but I think they really need to just boom, you know, make that light year jump ahead to a totally different animal. That or have these status quo changes that are obviously coming um, lead to the end game at the end of this season, um, which I would be fine with too. Either way, The Walking Dead, like uh, you know, I was saying with superhero stories, is fertile ground 
for dealing with these deep moral issues, um, dealing with issues of like a naturalistic philosophy that uh, that would have to logically say that basically we just should do everything we can to experience pleasure and to survive, you know, and that's really what, what you know, what we ought to be driven to do. But but that comes into conflict. There are some people that take that view in The Walking Dead where they'll be like, no, we've got whatever it takes to survive, to survive. We got to keep going there, you know. Um, and uh, that's, that's a very kind of short-sighted, naturalistic view, whereas if we believe that there is life after this and that we are answerable um, to our Creator, then uh, we m- would rightly make choices that could lead to our deaths but are morally better than the choices that we would make possibly in order to survive. And so uh, there's just, I can almost always count on having at least a little nugget of something interesting to think about in The Walking Dead, as well as, uh, you know, at least every few episodes have something that hits home, that connects with me emotionally. Um, so it's it still continues to very much, very much be my, my cup of tea, and I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen in Season 9. Number 3, Godzilla King of monsters. Um, I reviewed the last Godzilla movie that came out a few years ago. I can't remember what I thought of it. I think I was kind of, I was somewhat indifferent. I don't remember hating it. Uh, but either way, I'm very surprised that I am looking forward to this movie. The trailer, if you haven't seen it, um, check it out with uh, so you can hear the music and some of the dialogue and stuff. They're going for this very kind of emotionally kind of like a a somber or sad kind of feel to it they're also playing up the just the majestic awe and beauty of these massive massive creatures there's going to be multiple giant building skyscraper sized monsters in this movie that uh, i assume godzilla's gonna be fighting at least some of them um but the way that they portray them in this trailer and the music they chose uh was really striking to me also, I noticed that there were at least mm, two, two, maybe th- as, ma- as many as three or four actors that I, I saw in the trailer that um, are usually, I- I'm used to seeing them in movies that are more about actors and actors' performances, you know, smaller dramas or, you know, these are um, character actors or dr- heavy drama actors that I'm seeing in this uh, movie and I'm like, wow, that's really interesting choices. So I'm wondering, with all these little things that I'm seeing and hearing in this trailer, if they're really going for something that will be able to connect with those of us who like emotional storytelling or storytelling that impact, affects us emotionally, you know, in a in a in a human drama kind of sense. Um, I think there's some evidence of that. There seems to be some mother daughter drama going on in the trailer, uh, and the the monsters look cool. You know what I appreciate in this trailer is they do a lot of hiding of those monsters. A lot of times they're only seen um, in the haze of clouds at night when there's a lightning strike and you just briefly see you know a, the giant silhouette of the creature or or a, or a giant creature frozen in ice you can only make out their basic silhouette so i love it when they hide the monster because i'm cursed with an eye that picks out cg um and also i love that sense of exploring the unknown like what is that did i just see what i think i saw you know and so the more they can play up that and slowly progressively reveal the monsters over the course of the movie i think the more satisfying it's going to be for me so anyway uh really surprised to be looking forward to godzilla king of monsters number two i did not like (laughs) 
the Justice League movie. Uh, as you may know, if you uh, saw or heard my review, uh, it seemed to be a like a overreaction, like this a reckless hard turn away from darkness into jokes for joke's sake and at the expense of plot and character development and uh, oh man I, I had a hard time with the Justice League movie uh, and sadly it uh, th there's confirmation from Warner Brothers that they have no plans uh, to release a uh, Zack Snyder cut so oh well um, but I'm not opposed to Warner Brothers doing what they need to do to help these films be successful even if that means making them lighter and uh I think that we're definitely going to be seeing that in Shazam. This movie, I, I'm, I enjoy the character, but usually more often, so, somewhat like Batman, I enjoy him most when he's played against other superhero characters. So it'll be interesting to see just what I think of Shazam, or as I really, really want to call him, Captain Marvel, because uh, he had the name first, and I think it was just some legal stupid thing that allowed Marvel Comics to take that away, but to now for the last few years they've renamed the guy Shazam, but he's, he's always going to be Captain Marvel to me, come on. Um, but what's interesting to me is the, um, the, the casting, Billy Batson, who turns into Captain Marvel when he says, Shazam! Uh, he's, he's almost kind of pre-teen or young teenager. And the I can't remember the guy that's the the other kid that's next to him that that uh, ha, that like uses crutches. In the comics, they're not the same age. Um, that kid, the, the the kid with the disability, is a little bit older. Um, and Billy Batson is much younger. And I'm thinking long term for a franchise, they they would have wanted to cast a younger character. I mean, like if they do a trilogy with with this with this uh, actor then by the end, he's going to be looking almost as much like an adult as the Shazam character that he turns into, you know? So that's, I don't know, that's kind of weird. Unless they decide they're going to go in a Mark Wade Kingdom Come direction, which would be really weird. <laughs> and I think that story's too heavy and dark for, for DC now. Um, but anyway... I it's um I, I think it's an interesting update of the character, the style of humor. It's just got more of of kind of a, a a modern kind of sensibility to it that I can't quite put my finger on. Um the 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 inconsistency in the power set is a little interesting to me. He falls down and and hurt and feels like oh he gets the wind knocked out of him and he feels in pain after falling, but yet bullets are bouncing off of him, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they explain what his powers and limitations are. Um so, uh, yeah, I, I'm really, really curious. That's why this one's so high on my list is because I think there's so much potential for me to really enjoy this. But there's also a lot of potential for me to just be like, eh, no, no, not what I wanted. And I think what's going to make the difference is whether or not there's heart to this story. And it's so hard to tell in these trailers because I think right now they're feeling like, we got to let people know that we can be funny like Marvel too, so put jokes in there, put jokes in there. You know, I, I still feel like DC is like overcorrecting, <laughs> um, at least in their marketing right now. It'll be, it, it, it's it's going to be hard to say. When I see the movie, that's when I'll know. But I want it to have heart. That's what will make the difference to me. You know, we're dealing with um, a boy who is uh, orphaned and is living with foster parents. And uh, th those are like some heavy things. So he's, you know, going to be without a feeling of belonging, without a, you know, can, I mean, I can't imagine growing up without having parents, you know, like uh, like parents that uh, that were consistent and with me, you know. Oh, there's so much room. There's so much room for them to do some really neat things there in the midst of all the explosions and the jokes and stuff. I, we can have all that. And I, you know, I, 
I want the explosions at least, and I, I did chuckle at one or two of the jokes here, so maybe I'll find them funny, which would be unusual for me, but um, really what I want from this one is heart. If they can give him some heart, that will make all the difference. And uh, as MindSpike on the Christian Geek Central forums observed, Captain Marvel, Shazam, uh, is supposed to have the wisdom of Solomon. Each letter in the, in the word Shazam spells out like some being from mythology or history that uh, he gets a unique gift or ability or power from. Uh, and the S is for the wisdom of Solomon. And I saw no evidence of him having the wisdom of Solomon, unless we're talking about Solomon's crazy years, after which he had had wisdom with him, as the book of Ecclesiastes tells us, but nevertheless threw himself into giving himself to pleasure and all those kinds of things. Uh, so I guess you can make the argument there. I wonder, though, if DC is even keeping that part of the concept uh, for Captain Marvel or Shazam in this movie. Uh, I hope they do. I think there's some interesting things they could play with when it comes to wisdom. It'll also be interesting to see what the script writer's idea of wise choices are. What do they say? So I, this is another example of, a, of gosh, the, the third time on this on this list of something where there's a lot of potential for some interesting things, some good things, or some totally wrong things to be said about some very important issues in life. So for a lot of different reasons, I'm super, super curious on the edge of my seat to see what will become of Shazam. Number one! And finally, if you hadn't guessed it already, my number one is Glass. Um, I, I loved Unbreakable, and I had heard early on that it was originally conceived to be a trilogy that Unbreakable would serve as the origin story for, but that totally just dissolved. I think maybe M. Night Shyamalan did one or two movies after that. And that didn't do on well the box office, so maybe he didn't have the leverage really to do that kind of movie. I, I don't know why exactly that plan was not... He didn't continue with that plan to do that trilogy. But thankfully, ever since Bruce Willis shaved his head, he became immortal. So, <laughs> no, he is showing his age a little bit more in the in the last couple of years, but uh, but not much. And so it's, it's cool to see him back for this movie. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie Split, that's going to be a vital one for you to see before watching Glass. I didn't even know that Split had anything to do with the unbreakable continuity until I ran into some like uh, article online or some little like YouTube thumbnail that you kind of gave as a spoiler like a split and its connection to the unbreakable or split introduces the unbreakable universe or whatever and I was like what the crap because this was a movie that you know I saw the trailers I was like oh yeah it just looks like a weird psychological thriller about a psychopath with multiple personalities eh, I, I don't really need to see that but when I saw that it was connected to the unbreakable universe I was like what the crap is this and so I watched that movie long after it was uh, out in theaters and uh, yeah definitely he fits well I will say that there is some uh, meta natural me I don't, don't want to say supernatural but there is some uh, meta human there is some meta human goings on in the movie split so if you have avoided that movie because like like I did, you thought, oh, just a psychological thriller. No, there are some metahuman things going on in that movie. I don't want to say more than that because it's kind of something that the movie uh, hangs on as a mystery to have you guessing. Oh, can this guy really do these weird things or whatever? Da, 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 da. Um, so that that is a bit of a spoiler, but I mean... 
Uh, I would never have checked out that movie if I didn't know that it had some metahuman elements and even more than that, had a connection to uh, Unbreakable. So now we're going to see this movie brings all three of these characters together. Uh, the Unbreakable, what's his name? David Dunn, I think maybe is the character's name. Uh, and then Mr. Glass from the first movie. And then uh, the bad guy from Split, I can't remember. And I think the, the girl who was the, the hero from Split is going to be in this. Yeah, yeah, she's in the trailer also. And it's going to be interesting to see what what kind of story they tell here. I'm hoping that um, this is a nice, like, two-hour, 20-minute movie that just gives plenty of time for, you know, the, the, the slow kind of drama, quiet moments that Split is known for, that Unbreakable is known for, um, but that also has enough time to really cut loose because I don't see them doing another movie in this universe after this one. I think this is the end of a quote-unquote trilogy of some kind, um, and so I want it to have room to go out with a bang because, man, when I was done watching Unbreakable, I was like, this is so cool is this grounded, small, intimate introduction to this character, but now I really want to see him be put to his limits. I want to see him get knocked around into cars and stuff like that and, and not being heard and testing further the limits of his strength and, you know, uh, so I, I, I kind of want to have my cake and eat it too as far as like a, a nice, dramatic, uh, heavy, serious story about metahumans that also has the rock'em sock'em crazy action you know that you can only get in superhero movies and uh yeah i i think there's a lot of potential based on how much i enjoyed unbreakable especially for me to really really enjoy glass and the fact that it's named after the character mr glass would be is very interesting to see what they do with that because you know who is mr glass at the end of unbreakable is he is he a, is he a villain really is he he's not a hero but what is he he's very misunderstood he's a broken uh psychologist in terms of his motives and is a very complex individual and so uh whereas the character in split much more of a just hardcore whoa villain even though he's got some good multiple personalities inside of him and then you've got i mean like how this is going to work out in terms of like the who groups with who there's three of them and so you know it's going to be two against one at one point or i don't know what i i just there's so much like x factor about what this movie could be that i just cannot wait so for so many reasons um glass is number one on my list all right that's all I've got for San Diego Comic-Con. Didn't talk about any comic books. I, uh, I've started a new series uh, a couple months ago called Essential Issues, where I go back and talk about uh, the essential, to me anyway, stories of the, his of the, the DC Comics universe and its history, and uh, what they also have to say about the essential issues of life. Because as I commented earlier, uh, comic books are a fertile ground for talking about these essential human issues of life and morality and, and all these kinds of things. And so uh, if you want to see more comic book oriented content from me, uh, check out my Essential Issues series. I'll be doing another one in September that's going to be focusing on Batman. I've done an introduction to the series already and then one on uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths and then also one on Superman's Secret Origins uh, that you can check out. But, you know, as far as Comic-Con and like the comic book news, I'm not reading modern you know, comic books as they come out now, because with the launch of the New 52, DC, which was the company that had really been following, just uh, showed me they're going in a direction that does not interest me at all. So really, I'm waiting for 
for just some news out of Comic-Con one of these years that DC is totally changing their entire approach to how they write comics and and who they're writing them for, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what I want. But anyway, I apologize if you were hoping actually for some uh, mm, comic book content as I talk about Comic-Con. Anyway, that's it. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POS, TOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Rejoice, ye penny-pinching nerds! Rejoice! For this is a season unbound by our bank accounts, unfettered by fees. A legendary age of liberty. This is the Summer of Free! The movie I want to showcase this time is Europa Report, which you can see on TubiTV.com right now. Um, this movie, I remember it came out in, I think it was 2013, 2012, 2013, and I wanted to review it at the time, but I think there was something else that was a little bit more prominent, it had more buzz attached to it that I felt like I needed to give it attention to more. Um, but man, watching Europa Report now, I'm sad that I missed it when it came out in theaters. I wish that I would have known about this movie for a long time. So, spoiler, I loved it, okay? Uh, now, let me tell you why, but first give you the synopsis a little bit. Uh, according to IMDb, the synopsis reads, Europa, Jupiter's moon, is known to have potential to support life. Hence, a manned mission is sent to Europa to search for data proving existence of life there. Europa Report shows the difficult choices and sacrifices the crew has to make to fulfill their objective of sending valuable data to Earth for research. Um, I would describe this as being a near-future sci-fi suspense drama. You know, it's not about uh, action and people doing heroic deeds and stuff like that, uh, but it's about tension and it's based and the tension is very much based on the fragility of human life which just which is just exposed through the dangers of space travel and exploration i really just felt while watching this movie my own mortality and the mortality of these characters like they are all alone out there and i mean together but they're out in the vastness of space there's just a few feet between them and an environment that would almost instantly kill them, you know? And when they're wearing their suits outside, you know, there's even less space, you know? And uh, there's there's just so much that, that we need in order to just keep living for a few more seconds that we take for granted all the time. But uh, I was not taking those things for granted while watching this movie. I, I felt like I was made aware of them uh, frequently throughout the movie, and a lot of the tension came from that. Um, the, the tech of the movie feels like it could be a reality in 10 to 20 years, and the story is told exclusively through... Uh, the uh, like there's in-story cameras so if you kind of think uh, what was that movie a chronicle uh, where it was all captured because this guy liked to videotape himself and later on in the movie they would switch from the view of the camera he carried around with him to the view of other people's cell phone cameras or security cameras and stuff like that so likewise this movie bounces around to a bunch of different surveillance cameras or cameras inside of the astronauts helmets but it's all in-story cameras that that they're jumping back and forth between and there's also interjected uh recurringly throughout the movie post-mission interviews with people uh that were associated with the mission the the footage 
that is shown, the way they tell the story is mostly linear, but it does have a few significant, somewhat lengthy departures from the chronological reveal of the footage over the course of the movie. And especially like in the first 30 minutes, I want to say, the first uh, few minutes, about seven minutes of the movie, they're showing you um, stuff that's happening about midway through the chronology of the movie as a whole after a major event has taken place, but they don't tell you what that major event is. And so I was, you know, trying to figure out, boy, what are they reacting to something really bad just happened and and it's weighing on them you know and and we don't find out until halfway through the movie maybe about uh what that event was and so um because of that there are gaps in our knowledge as as uh, audience members that that kept me just leaning forward and trying to piece together the story details what were they talking about what's wrong with what's preoccupying this guy you know um on top of that since all the cameras are in-story cameras, surveillance cameras, and all that kind of stuff, uh, angles aren't always the best to see what you want to see as as a viewer. Audio quality is rough now and then because of in-story technical shortcomings or, or, or glitches and things. I loved how all of these things combined kept me intensely engaged because it kind of put me there with the characters in a scary environment in which you can't see as well as you'd like. You can't hear things as well as you'd like. And there are terrifying unknowns just around the corner, just out out of sight or out of earshot. Um, it, it's really, I think, in my experience, the best leveraging of fear of the unknown uh, that, that I've experienced outside of something that was inspired by H.P. Lovecraft. I mean, maybe somewhere deep behind the scenes you could discover that, like, there is an inspiration of H.P. Lovecraft, but it doesn't have any of those usual vibes or trappings. Um, so, yeah, I, and, and I have great fear of the unknown, and so it was really tapping into that fear effectively for me. I don't always like found footage or documentary-style movies, but I really enjoyed this one. Um, just a great suspense and pacing and stuff. As far as the cast goes, it's made up of what are, to me, unknown names, except for maybe Sh- Sh- Sharto Copley or Copley. I can't remember. The guy who was the uh, the main character in District 9. He was also in Hardcore Henry as a recurring character. I'm trying to think of what else I've seen him in. Anyway... Uh, he was the most well-known, the only name I could, you know, pull out of the ether if I even successfully did that. The rest, although they were unknown names to me, were very familiar faces, you know. Uh, it's uh, like I'd seen all of them, and, and later confirmed this, going to IMDb, in supporting roles on TV shows or movies and stuff. And so, uh, and I didn't feel like there was a, a weak link among all of the cast members. Neither was there like a charismatic star that that can sometimes be a bad thing as it steals the show from the others, you know. Um, it, it was a great example, I felt like, of an ensemble cast. Really, really nice. As far as the stunts and visuals go, there's certainly CG all over this movie, uh, but it's conservative in what it attempts. And I really appreciate that when, when I feel like the filmmakers understand the limits of CG and so they're not trying to push them and just have this eye candy constantly displayed in front of your face, the more I get a good look at CG, the the worse it looks to me. And uh, and so I, I felt like 
the CG in this movie was aided by the found footage style, which purposefully compromises visual fidelity, you know, uh, because you're not seeing through these nice, clear shots of, you know, uh, filmmaking cameras. You're seeing through, like, security cameras that have kind of a fisheye effect, maybe, or uh, through a a helmet cam, or, you know, something where there's static interference and stuff like that. So um, I really liked how that kind of uh, filmmaking masked some of the weaknesses uh, in the effects of this movie. And and a ton of the visuals were practical, including uh, what I thought was just an awesome set for the spacecraft that they're on, which felt just a bit advanced and streamlined compared to, you know, the kind of stuff that we've seen from uh, from NASA, you know, these days. Um, but it, it was still uh, bulky, though, and still had that traditional NASA vibe. So uh, really, really liked that. Um, as far as relevance, you know, is there anything of moral, philosophical, or spiritual significance going on in the theming of this movie that might trigger worthwhile thought or conversation? I don't think the movie is trying to say very much. I could be wrong. Um, arguably, its theme is the cost of acquiring knowledge, you know, which I think is, you know, kind of interesting in its own right. But there was a far smaller theme that didn't get as, as much... Uh, emphasis maybe um, that I found more interesting and that's the theme of humanity's place in the universe one of the astronauts talks about what he considers the big tough questions that they're trying to help answer with this mission namely who are we where do we come from and are we alone and if you've seen the trailer for this movie it's probably no spoiler to say that they do discover a form of life on their mission what interested me was the philosophical significance the characters seemed to give to the discovery of extraterrestrial life. Uh, The mission director near the end of the movie says, we now know that our universe is far uh, stranger, far more alive than we had ever imagined. The crew of Europa changed the fundamental context in which all of humanity understands itself. That's a massive statement. The crew of Europa, through what they discovered, through the discovery of life on another planet, changed the fundamental context in which all of humanity understands itself. I mean, those those are three big, you know, <laughs> ticket uh, items in that sentence. What I want to know is how they think that life on other planets should change the way we view ourselves uh, and answer the big questions about, say, for example, who we are. Uh, we're already just one of countless life forms on our planet. Uh, what difference does it make if we're one of countless life forms in space? Um, I'm only speculating, but I get the feeling that those who give significant philosophical or anthropological weight to the discovery of extraterrestrial life do so because they believe they might be challenging the notions of the Bible or theism uh, that humanity is is special. But since Scripture never denies the, that life on other planets exist, it doesn't... Uh, you know, the, 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 the unique place that scripture gives to humanity is not dependent upon the scarcity of life uh, away from planet Earth, you know. Um, so I don't see how discovery of other life has any effect on the significance of human beings as it's described uh, in the Bible. I, I don't know how disbelief in extraterrestrial life became in any way attached to theism or, you know, or how that, at least that perception started circulating. But I think that's an association that as believers, we can and should break. It really doesn't have any basis in the Bible. Whether or not life is 
discovered on other planets has no bearing on what the Bible says about the uniqueness of humanity. Um, now, I have biblical reasons to suspect that we won't interact with extraterrestrial life before the return of Christ, which I talked about in my Fire, uh, fire in the Sky review a couple of weeks ago. But I, I don't think the Bible would be somehow invalidated as a reliable source of, of knowledge about, you know, who we are as humans, who God is, um, you know, if we were to discover uh, life on other planets. So anyway, uh, yeah, just some interesting stuff to kind of chew on. But again, it, it wasn't like an, a main emphasis of the movie, just kind of like a, a secondary or tertiary. Is that what you say when it's the third rung down? I would say even quadrary, quintillary. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it wasn't a theme that was emphasized very much, just a, a little blip a couple of times in the movie. So anyway, um, I have no idea what your tastes and preferences are in movies, but if I were a time traveler, I'd go back in time and say, Peter, dude, you're going to love this movie. Uh, it's riveting, creatively shot, grounded and realistic, yet emotionally intense. Uh, it's the best movie you've discovered for free uh, online in all your years of celebrating the summer of free. Uh, so carve out some time and check it out ASAP. It's rated PG-13 for sci-fi action and peril. Got some more summer of free for you, this time with a video game theme, um, I, but I went a different route. Uh, I discovered recently that, I don't know how long ago this happened, but you can now once again find a number of, Ninten of issues of Nintendo Power available at archive.org. Now, back in 2016, I think the first maybe 13 years of Nintendo Power had been put on archive.org and then were promptly <laughs> taken down by Nintendo, who is known for very viciously protecting their intellectual property. But uh, for some reason, the first, I want to say, I don't know how many years, let's take a look here, from 1988... To, do, 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 uh, to October 1996. Uh, so that's a good... Man, that's a good number. Of, I mean, it's not 13 years, but uh, it's still a good number of issues, and maybe all of them in that entire run. I, I, haven't, I haven't diligently checked to see if every single issue... But uh, it looks like issues... Yeah, all every issue 1 through 89, uh, which uh, goes up to the... Right around the Super Nintendo era, I think maybe just as the N64, yeah, was because that's when I was, let's see, I was starting college in uh, the fall of 96, and uh, that's when PlayStation 1 was uh, pretty new or coming out at the time, I think, and then around the same time, the competitor, Nintendo 64, and uh, so really, for, for I think for a lot of fans of classic Nintendo, these are really the issues of Nintendo Power that you'd most want to get your hands on to kind of relive some of the nostalgia of the 8-bit and 16-bit era of uh, of Nintendo. So this, I really enjoyed looking at these. I mean, they, they, uh, you, you see here on the screen the first issue featuring Super Mario Bros. 2. That's kind of an iconic uh, picture, uh, in, in Nintendo Power cover. Uh, but I jumped ahead a little bit. I wanted to see um, what issues might have some games that I have in my collection that I repurchased a number of years back, you know, that I wanted to uh, have again. And uh, so there's this issue, let's see, January, February 1990 of Nintendo Power that I thought I would just take a little time and uh, walk through uh, with you guys here. 
If you're watching the video version, then you can see actually the magazine that I'm uh, looking at as I'm paging through it. Uh, and I remember this cover. I it, It's funny. And uh, I never played the second Batman game, but I really enjoyed the first one, especially once I had a Game Genie and I could cheat the crap out of it. Uh, but I think a lot of... Uh, video game fans would, I mean, especially like retro platforming fans would tell you that this is really an unusually good game given that it's a movie tie-in license or a tie-in to any IP in general. Usually those were terrible. And for a long time, I would say probably up until the Arkham games, you know, Batman Arkham Asylum, you know, and, and that series started, I think a lot of fans would say this is the best Batman game, maybe the best superhero game ever made, and it didn't tie in well to the movie at all. I mean, it used some images and stuff like that, but as far as following the story and the plot, you know, <laughs> it uh, barely resembled the uh, the beats of the 1989 movie with, with uh, Michael Keaton. Anyway, uh, so paging through here, it's interesting to come back to this now and see... Uh, in hindsight, what kind of a propaganda tool this was. I mean, it was produced by Nintendo. It wasn't some third party that was objectively looking at these games uh, and, like, actually reviewing them and really, like, pointing out some of the shortcomings and stuff. I mean, uh, it's, the, the more you look at this, <laughs> it's a really interesting little time capsule. So in this issue, we've got, uh, they're covering Batman, Shadowgate, Willow, Double Dragon 2, Super Spike, V-Ball, Clash at Demon Head, that's another one in, in my collection, River City Ransom, and then they got some uh, Game Boy games, uh, uh, let's, oh no, stuff about Game Boy, the making of Super Mario Brothers 3, which was a little bit of an, well, it's, there's a little piece on uh, Miyamoto that I thought was kind of interesting. But anyway, let's keep paging through here. The mailbox is really interesting uh, to, <laughs> to look at. Uh, I guess it was a thing to be a power player. I don't know if that's something that Nintendo was coming up with, but they uh, they had a power player profile, I guess, in every one of these issues. And uh, people are writing in, like one, one person writes in, let's see, where is this? Um... Let's see. Uh, you too can be a power player. This is the title above this letter. Chuck uh, from Loveland, Colorado writes, I'd like to know how to become a power player. I've sent in several lists of my accomplishments, but I never get my name in the magazine. What can I do? And their response is, well, Chuck, being a power player involves more than just finishing a lot of games. We'd like interesting stories that illustrate your power playing qualities or that tell why you think your achievements are special. You should also know that we receive thousands of entries and can only print a few of them, but we do read and respond to every letter we receive. We re, we, 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 we receive. So keep them coming. Um, <laughs> power Here's a the power player profile. Uh, Jeff Gilkey, uh, age 16, says, The reason I feel I am a power player is I can usually solve any game that I get my hands on within five days. Some of my more outstanding accomplishments are solving the Goonies 2 in one day, scoring over 3 million points in Mega Man, and solving Super Mario Bros. 2 with 72 lives left over. My friends at school call me Nintendo Man because I can usually answer a question about a game whether I've played it or not. Thanks to the time I spend reading Nintendo Power. My favorite game has to be The Legend of Zelda. The variety of enemies and helpful items make it a great challenge. And with the second quest, I don't get bored doing the exact same thing over and over again. Some of my best tips are... In Dragon Warrior, be patient and raise your levels before you go adventuring too far. There is no way to finish a game like this overnight. It takes time and thought. In Stage 5 of Blaster Master, when looking for the Monster Crab, don't leave your vehicle until you have to. Otherwise, you may find that you have no way to get back to it. 
All right, so that's a little uh, little bit from the uh, the letters. Um, what's oh yeah, and then th- this look at Batman here. It's it's interesting as I looked at this to see. I, in hindsight, I think you can really see how this differed from. Uh, gaming magazines that followed it or or that were maybe competing with it at the time and certainly the kinds of things that you're going to find online that are just a whole lot more informative. The the format of how they would cover games, it wasn't quite like a review. I mean, it definitely wasn't a review. It wasn't quite a strategy. It was a blend of like strategy guide of maybe the first few stages of a game and also just kind of showcasing the features, almost like a preview of a game. Um, like some of the things they would tell you would be, you know, a little bit of little tips here, like the like this uh, flying enemy in the first stage of the Batman game on NES. Uh, they say, stay low and use the wide shot of the Dirk to take down this flying fiend. Oh, and here's a little bit of trivia. trivia. Right before you go in to fight, like, the, the flying Mothman or whatever the crap at the end of the uh, first uh, stage one, three... Um, there's a there's a like a ninja guy right outside the spot where you go in to fight that boss who's leaning up against the wall and then he comes and attacks you you know as you're you know getting ready to go and leave exit the stage. Well, it turns out here this is it's KG, KG Beast, which is a character from the Batman comics. Uh, they say run up to KG Beast and catch him off guard before he can attack with his sword. I mean, maybe that little detail was included in the instruction manual. I never had the instruction manual to the original Batman NES game, but uh, that was an interesting little bit of, uh, of information. It's funny how in these, this early era of games, especially in NES, there was a lot of lore about these games that was contained uh, in sources outside of the actual game itself, like the instruction manual or like, in a, I guess, in Nintendo Power. But here's an example of like a, a tip that's not really a tip. They're just kind of talking about the Batarang uh, reach that uh, when you're fighting an enemy here, it says uh, Bat- Batman's flying wing hits the enemy once going out and once coming back. And it's like, okay, well, if you've never played the game before, I guess that's I don't know. It's it's a batarang. It's we know it's a you know it's a boomerang type thing. It's gonna come back, right? Hence batarang. Um, so <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting blend of uh, preview. Maybe that that's being generous. Propaganda. If I'm if I'm not as generous, and a few tips uh, uh, here and there. So here's the little piece I was talking about. Um, game designer profile Shigeru Miyamoto, who I think. For years, like, I'm not up on my Nintendo corporate history or current status quo, but I think he's been, like, the head of a whole bunch of stuff at Nintendo for a long time. And so to see, way back in 1990, uh, just a few months after Batman 89 released in theaters, uh, to to see a little piece on him and kind of like his origins in the company is really kind of interesting. Something else that, that really caught my attention as I noticed it, none of these... Uh, I guess calling them articles again might be a little bit generous, but there there don't seem to be any credited writers for any of these articles. Like if you read Game Informer, whether digital on their website or in the print version, every article you're going to see who wrote it and maybe a little picture of them. And there's no credit of uh, I, I I don't think any of the writers is it one dude writing all this is it like a a, a, a team of like you know uh, <laughs> i don't know people working the midnight shift to get all this stuff done um yeah really really interesting here's the top 30 section with this is weird it's like did your favorite game make it into america's top 30 
And I'm like, who is, how is this determined? Well, you look at this paragraph here. The big news this issue is the sudden surge to the top of the heap by four totally tough teenage turtles. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that is. This reptilian revolt was led by the dealer's votes and boosted by the players. Remember, your vote really counts. I'm like, the dealer's who is that? Are they talking about retailers? Um, well, <laughs> what is what are they basing their vote on? What they think is cool? What they really want to sell? What's interesting to me is I, I, you know, I can't, I don't know that I'm right about this. I'd have to, you know, do some research. But I think a lot of gamers really hated and were frustrated by that original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, which has the top-down levels, and then you go to side-scrolling for like the underground sewer levels or the swimming water levels and stuff. It was just a really difficult game, a punishing game, not uh, not at all like the arcade Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games, which I think players really would have preferred to have on the NES and did eventually get ports of uh, later on. But uh, anyway, it's interesting that that is in the number one slot, and it seems that the quote-unquote dealers are the ones that are making the... (laughs) the biggest choice in that so uh is that evidence then that nintendo power was also working with retailers and you know trying to uh, you know just more evidence that they're really here to sell these games but anyway i thought that was very very interesting teenage mutant ninja turtles above super mario brothers 2 uh, on this list of top 30 games. Very, very interesting. All right. Then you had these Howard and Nestor comics, which I think even at the time when I was, you know, potentially young enough to enjoy them or something, I think I largely skipped these things. I did not find them funny at all. But, you know, if you've been listening or watching to me for a little while, you know that uh, I don't seem to have a sense of humor. <laughs> I don't laugh at what other people laugh at. So maybe you'll enjoy that. Oh, the counselor's corner. I usually skipped past this section. This is just evidence of this pre-internet culture where you know they were the counselor's corner was for moments in games that maybe players had questions about like Legacy of the Wizard, how do I defeat the enemy that appears after I find the fourth crown? That's a very specific question. It's not broad general tips about how to make your way through the game uh, effectively. It's about this very specific part of the game. And so often in counselor's corner I didn't have anything that really caught my interest because they were these very specific things for, for very specific parts of, of uh, games. Um, but what I did always look forward to in every issue was classified information. This was, uh, if you were going to find them anywhere in the magazine, where the cheats could be found. So, like, they've got an, an invincible code for Kid Icarus, and uh, they've got the power punch for bad dudes, which, you know, that's whatever. Um, Robocop. How to Get Unlimited Continues, which now, in this day and age, it's like that is a given that you can always continue when you die. You, and, you know, you can pick up where you left off in your last save or checkpoint or whatever the heck. You know, it's not... The, the idea of starting all the way over to the very beginning of the game again is, like, <laughs> ludicrous almost to think about today. But here back in 1990, ooh, this was a hot tip, a secret code to get unlimited continues in a game. So, uh, anyway, that's... That's kind of fun to look back on. Then there's a whole section here in the back, video shorts, which is basically the same kinds of thing they do earlier in the issues where they have big spreads showing like pictures of levels of games and stuff. Uh, but instead of that, they it's just a much shorter version of that. And it's essentially, again, just telling you some basic preview information about the game, uh, just promoting it, just promote, not giving any kind of like impressions of whether or not the game may or may not be good, as say Game Informer would do in their preview section. Even though they don't give conclusive thoughts, they still will freely say, 
you know, ah, oh, there's some concerns about this, but we'll see how it turns out and reserve final judgment. But there's no criticism of these games. It's just, hey, here's this new, here's Dig Dug 2, here's the concept, it's the arcade classic, blah, 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 whatever, Genghis Khan, Cybernoid, you know, uh, and <laughs> What is the description for... I gotta read this. Menacing space pirates have taken over a series of dangerous caves. In your automated fighting machine, it is your mission to eliminate the pirates and keep them from taking over the universe. Even though you have bombs, shields, missiles, and other strong weapons in your arsenal, your assignment is still an incredible challenge. There are three levels of difficulty. Easy, hard, and lethal. Oh, that's interesting. That wasn't a very common thing back then, to have difficulty levels. And even the easy level will keep... Oh, wait a minute. When they say level, do they mean, they probably mean like actual like levels that you play through, not like settings. I don't know. That would be interesting to know. Uh, easy level will keep you on your toes and your finger on the fire button. Special weapons are available only in limited quantities. Use them sparingly as some obstacles are impassable without particular weapons. Fire up your cybernetic turbo engines and take off! Oh, wait a minute. They've got these little meters here. Now, what is this? Hold on a second. Lo and behold, we've got some little meter here. Graphics and sound. This is So this is some kind of like a review system. Graphics and sound, 3.5. Play, play control, 2.5. Uh, challenge, 3. And theme or fun, a 3. So uh, pretty mediocre across the board. I wonder if any game ever gets blasted by these power and... Power and player meter things. Man, I don't... There, there's like... Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games featured that are given some kind of like a meter score. And only one of them dips below the halfway point, And that's Genghis Khan with a... Uh, what do we got here? A play control rating of 2.5 out of 5. Oh, and wait a minute. On the scale they're using, that is the halfway point, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, man. I don't know. I guess I'd have to reserve judgment uh, bef until I browse through a, a number of these uh, of these magazines. Then we've got NES Achievers, where you could send in your score on a game to get on these kind of printed leaderboards, as it were. And they've got some instructions on how to capture your score here. Turn out the lights, place the camera on something steady, make sure you don't use a flash, adjust the height. The camera should be about a yard from the TV, and then they tell you where to mail your uh, your submission to. I remember when they changed how the, the, the restrictions on this, you had to include, you had to include your NES, your video game console, in the picture so that they could make sure you weren't using a Game Genie. Back on the topic of trying to sell stuff to you, uh, look at this, under sh short takes, just kind of like these random little articles, I guess, or whatever they want to say at the end here. Uh, Captain Nintendo wants you to give him a call. Have you called the Captain Nintendo tip recording lately? If not, you may be interested to know that he has a new adventure story format. The Captain is now available exclusively on his own 900 line. 1-900-420-6100. Somebody let me know if that number's still working. A two-minute call to Captain Nintendo costs only $1.50. In each message, which is changed weekly, you'll hear the latest tips on some of the hottest games available and also get information on what games are going to be on store shelves soon at NES retailers. So, hey, pay us 
to try and sell you games. <laughs> um, this is a great deal, considering that the cost is the same no matter where you call from, and for some people, maybe even cheaper than calling the gameplay counselors. If you haven't called the captain recently, you just don't know what you're missing. Here's a schedule of what games Captain Nintendo will give tips on in the coming weeks. Week of January 21st, DuckTales, slash week of, oh wait, no, week of January 28th, Dragon Warrior, week of February 4th, Willow, and the week of February 11th, Iron Sword. If you don't pay your phone bill, but want to call Captain Nintendo, set up an IOU system with the person who pays the bill. You could also pay them in advance. We want to make sure you understand all the different ways that you could possibly take advantage of <laughs> this, uh, this service. Um, $1.50. I did a quick uh, Google Googling and uh, discovered that a dollar fifty or a dollar in 1990 is a buck ninety three in 2018. So that's almost doubled. So we're talking today that would be the equivalent of about a three dollar phone call to go and get tips for one particular game that may or may not be useful to you, and also to be to have other games promoted to you, and I guess some little uh, new adventure story. <laughs> Oh, man. Then they've got uh, celebrity profiles, which I don't know if this is a feature in every issue, but I remember seeing it a few times where they take some uh, TV star, movie star. I remember Kurt Cameron was featured in one of these from Growing Pains, and they talk about what video games they play on the set or whatever or, you know, at home. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that's really I don't know what that's about. And if you haven't heard about enough games that are available or coming soon, they have a whole section called Pack Watch, because I guess games are called Game Packs back then. A look into the future of NES Game Packs. So there's like Super C, Wrath of the Black Manta, Remote Control, uh, Snake Rattle and Roll, The Adventures of Lolo 2, Wall Street Kid. Anyway, that's a, a fun little diversion if you want to take a trip down memory lane. I, uh, I'm considering maybe incorporating these Nintendo Power issues into next year's Summer of Free, maybe uh, looking at uh, a different issue every week or every month or something like that. Uh, that that strikes me as being something kind of fun to do. But anyway, again, you can find uh, these issues of Nintendo Power available digitally over at archive.org. Archive.org. Uh, that's it for the Summer of Free for this entire year. We are wrapping up the Summer of Free now. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed it, and uh, you can also get past entries from the Summer of Free archived over at summeroffree.com. If you want to uh, celebrate the Summer of Free, you can actually do so year-round by visiting that website where all the previous Summer of Free segments are, uh, are kind of like archived and cataloged. Again, that's over at summeroffree.com. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. The launch for the Spirit Blade Productions Patreon is scheduled for Friday, August 10th. Uh, coming up really quick. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you guys will be interested in finding out what that's going to be all about. Uh, as a, just a quick word right now, Patreon is a platform that allows people to support their favorite creators through a fixed monthly donation. There are multiple donation tier options, starting as low as a dollar a month, and each of those subscription tiers comes with its own set of rewards. And I've been cooking up some rewards that I think will be a lot of fun and that you guys will enjoy, so I hope you'll stay tuned for more information on that as 
as we get closer to that launch or as we arrive at the launch by the next time I talk to you on uh, on August 10th. At SpiritBlade.com, our summer sale is still running where you can get any or all parts of our SpiritBlade audio drama trilogy for 20% off. More details at SpiritBlade.com. Uh, let's see here. At YouTube.com slash ChristianGeekCentral. Oh, I didn't update my notes here. Hang on. All right, nothing really shocking or surprising here. Uh, at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral, you can find my video featuring my pick for the top five noteworthy trailers of uh, Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con 2018. Uh, and in that video, as you might imagine, I'm actually playing the trailers in the background so you can see what I'm talking about, what I'm reacting to uh, as, I, as I make my way through it. Uh, let's see here. Also, my video review of Europa Report and my video, ver- the video version of my uh, talk about Nintendo Power and reactions and walkthrough of uh, of that issue. And if you want to like, share, and subscribe and click that notification bell while you're there, I'd be very grateful. Let's see what else. I think that's about it. Um, yeah, we've got plenty of other things. Let's let's just keep rolling along here. to take a few minutes and talk about the update for No Man's Sky titled Next. Now, if you're not familiar with No Man's Sky, I did do a trial and error review of the game when it came out in 2016. There was a lot of controversy around this game. It's basically intended to be an open world, and by that uh, it should be understood open universe, or at least open galaxy, uh, exploration and crafting and survival type of game. They they were really hesitant when it released to define it succinctly as far as what this game was. And I think that led a lot of fans to just being very curious and hanging on every word that was said by the uh, main developer, Sean Murray. And when he talked about the game, I think one of the mistakes that that he made was he talked about it not like a trained PR person, uh, but as a developer. And you might say, well, that sounds good, like he would be less PR speak and more about just being open and transparent. Well, that's true. And I think that what what we saw of Sean Murray was him absolutely being himself and transparent. But I think what he wasn't communicating in all of that uh, when he would talk about the features that they were, that were going to be in the game, is that not all these features were going to be available at launch. That the concept of this game is that it would be uh, very comparable to Minecraft in that this basic version of the game would be released, and it would be a game that is constantly supported, constantly added to over the course of years, and uh, fans who would play this game would be kind of figuring out for themselves what you could potentially do in this game, and that's why I think they didn't want to say very much about it, because the game is about exploring and figuring out what you can do in this uh, galactic sandbox. Uh, But So the way that the marketing and the PR was handled, I mean, Sony, I think, really 
should have had a proper PR person making the rounds instead of Sean Murray, or they should have properly trained him in how to communicate uh, and set expectations properly. Uh, I don't think... Now, this is... I could be wrong about this, because I know that there are pundits who have done a much more thorough examination of the things that Sean Murray said in his interviews maybe they are right to to be as hard on him as they are uh that's just not the impression that i got i think that the things that were promised uh by sean murray to be in the game many of them have been added since launch but a ton of them were not there at launch and so understandably the game was heavily criticized uh and what they did for a while was you know, in the midst of all this controversy, rather than kind of get up front and and, uh, kind of explain what their plans were and stuff like that, uh, Sean Murray, I think this was a controversial decision, but an understandable one, I think, from a certain perspective, decided to just not really talk about the game, but to mostly just vanish under the radar and get to work on it. Um, I think that the the, the, the thinking there was all right, people are really, our word doesn't have much value after this perception that we've lied and uh, not delivered on the promises that we made. And so why waste time, uh, you know, just saying what our intentions are when people have already, you know, decided that we're not going to make good on what we say our intentions are. So they felt like the, the, the right move instead was to go quiet and to just spend all their time and energy getting those features that they had talked about before release into the game. Um, And so a lot of people have just written off No Man's Sky. There was just a lot of anger. There's still among, you know, some people, a lot of just anger and nasty language going on on the internet about this game, you know, and talk of too little too late and stuff like that. Some people just really felt burned in a way that, like, uh, seemed to profoundly affect them as as only (laughs) things in fandom can affect uh, some of us. So uh, anyway, I, I think it's a bit of a cautionary tale, both for the developers and how they kind of handled the situation. And I think a cautionary tale for geeks and how we can uh, react way too strongly to some things. Um, anyway, I guess there's I guess I guess that's open to debate depending on the, you know, the impressions that were given by, you know, the developers of No Man's Sky and stuff like that. I think a lot of people did get refunds. And so, I you know, if they're still salty after getting their refund, you know, then I'm, I'm not sure how to help them. But uh, anyway, fast forward now, two years almost, if not exactly, I don't know, right around two years. And, uh, and there's been several big updates, but this is the largest one by far. Uh, and I have come back to No Man's Sky a few times before this big update because they'd added some neat features that I wanted to explore. You know, um, the the basic game, the basic gameplay loop is you start out on a planet and you have no ship, uh, 
and you just have to kind of gather some resources to the point where you can repair a ship that you found and get, you know, more mobile around the planet and then actually get off of the planet so that you can explore uh, other planets in the same system. And then eventually, as a result of exploring other planets and getting, you know, resources that maybe weren't readily available on your starting planet, you can uh, get a warp drive and fuel your warp drive. And, and so there's this loop of exploring your environment mining, you know, uh, for uh, for components and combining those components in various ways that you are uh, kind of gradually spoon-fed blueprints and recipes for over the course of the game um, so that you can, you know, build your ship, improve your ship, uh, build and improve on your exosuit and your uh, mining tool, which is also has multiple modes on it, so it functions also as a weapon against the um, aliens that might be nasty towards you. Most of them are quite peaceful. There are these mysterious robotic sentinels that are kind of like uh, not quite spherical shaped things that have kind of a, almost a giant eye looking thing on them that are constantly monitoring and scanning and policing the environment. If they see you mining certain types of resources, they will get aggressive and they'll attack you and you have to get away or they'll get reinforcements and it just escalates from there. Kind of like a, uh, a Grand Theft Auto, like an open world type of situation where if you anger the law enforcement, then the situation just escalates more and more, gets worse and worse um, until you just have to escape and lower that kind of aggression level so you can come out of hiding again. So it's it, it has a lot in common with both Minecraft and some of uh, those open city games, but it's it largely has has had no story. Uh, with one of the one or two of the major updates, they added some story elements. It's all text driven. I mean the guys you're running into are all aliens anyway so there is some voice some performance or something but it's all and then you get a, you read the translation you know uh and uh, and it's interesting because you're also collecting words you're collecting knowledge about these three different races that you encounter and our sl- and as you collect these different words it will insert them into these opening dialogue statements that some of these aliens will make and so like in the middle of gobbledygook you'll get one word that you recognize that's in english in the text and that represents you slowly learning their language over time which really for me has taken a long long time and i still feel like i barely know anything but thankfully there are you know that there's just that opening statement that's in gobbledygook and then after that there's kind of prose language that walks you through the sense that you're getting from what the alien wants and then you enter into trade with them or whatever the interaction is going to be um so anyway yeah there's there's a, a lot going on in this game but but again very little like in the way of story one of the major updates did add some story elements which was uh, really nice. All just story maybe is a little bit too strong. I no no no. There is some story, but more the more important part for me was to have some kind of a quest, a quest line of of some kind. And there they've now beefed up the main quest line, which basically uh, is gives you the mission of exploring the universe until you reach the center of the galaxy. You know. Um, and they've, they've kind of like added some layers and richness to that. Last time I played it, it was before they'd done this kind of major update to flesh out that main quest line. So at that time, I was like one move away from the very end of the game. And then, uh, I set it down because I was like, oh, I don't quite want to finish off that quest line yet. And now picking it up with the, the next update, um, it, 
I, I, yeah, I think the, yeah, it was before the, the, the updated, they fleshed out that quest before, uh, the next update, but I haven't played it since they, you know, updated it. But now coming back into it, it's like, oh man, they fleshed it out. And suddenly I'm not at the second to last step. I'm like somewhere way in the middle of that quest line. <laughs> Now, there's clearly many other things that they're going to have me do, so or collect or learn to build or whatever, and that's cool with me. One of the things that made me kind of like lose interest in the game after about only 10 or 20 hours, the first time I sat down to play it, was that I kept, like, I'd learned most of the recipes that I could learn for things. You know, you would explore an environment and find... Uh, boxes or whatever, for lack of a better word, crates uh, or aliens who would give you information. And and through doing that, especially interacting with aliens, you could get gifts of blueprints that would teach you how to craft new things. And there was one particular thing that I was really wanting to figure out how to craft and I wasn't getting the blueprint for it. And in fact, instead, I was getting blueprints that I already had over and over and over again. And I just lost interest. That's the I really like exploration in games. And that's the biggest selling point probably for this one. Um, maybe right alongside the crafting and, you know, building things. and uh, But without that component of like feeling like I could actually discover some new thing that I could build or, you know, by interacting with the next alien on the next planet or whatever. Without that carrot dangling in front of me, I quickly lost interest. But coming back to this now, well, before I even get to next, man, I'm going to have more to say a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I got back into the game probably about three or four days before the next update hit and started seeing some of those updates for the main uh, quest line and also discovered all these other blueprints that I was dis- that I was able to get as gifts from interacting with aliens and stuff and so already I was like oh my gosh this is this is really cool I'm suddenly like back in this to win it man I oh my gosh and so I was getting really excited for the next uh, update um, which is weird to use it to say it like that. It just it, it's the update is called next. No man's sky next. But when you say it like the next update, well, of course it's the next update. You know. <laughs> anyway, um, collect my thoughts. So I was getting back into the game, um, really having a great time with it, and the next update came, and oh my gosh! Uh, at first, I gotta tell you, I was I was a bit put off and. And really intrigued at the same time. I had really mixed feelings about it. Uh, first off, the the biggest thing I was looking forward to is the visual overhauls that they were planning to bring to the game and that I feel like they really delivered on. Uh, first off, you can... Well, the big, the big update I'm not going to talk about is multiplayer. That's what most outlets are kind of shining a spotlight on is oh my gosh you can play this game with your friends but if you know me and my video game tendencies at all you know i'm a big time hermit gamer i'm not at all interested in multiplayer in fact the thing i was most curious about regarding multiplayer is will it be forced on me will i have to get a ps plus subscription will other players be able to muck about in my game and mess with my stuff when i don't want them to um and i i've as far as i can tell the answer to that is Um, I don't have to deal with any of that crap. Uh, As soon as you load up No Man's Sky next, you have the option of having a solo experience or having a multiplayer experience. I just checked 
my multi my uh, solo experience and and just forgot all about the existence of multiplayer in this game. So I'm not going to talk about any of the multiplayer stuff. Um, but the visual upgrades you can play in third person now, whether you are walking around on the ground or in your spaceship. Prior to this, it's always been a cockpit view only in the spaceship uh, or a first person view when you're on the ground. And um, I, I did discover that I I really prefer to stay in first person and the cockpit view in both of those circumstances but it's still cool nice it's still it's still a nice feature and cool now and then to switch over to third person just to see my guy because you have all these customization options now for what race your your person is and and what their equipment looks like and the color scheme and you know tons of customization options so uh, that's been really cool and then uh, no customization options visually for your ship yet but I wouldn't be surprised if that's coming we'll see and uh, I found the ship uh, harder to not necessarily harder to control in third person but you don't have the HUD when you're in third person view so I couldn't keep track of how much thruster power I had left or how my shields were doing or how my you know my weapons were doing and stuff and so that information I feel like is more readily available to me uh, when I'm in the cockpit view so I, I really stick to that and then also in the third person view there's still like some uh gosh some targeting issues i don't know like um you're you're still ultimately interacting with things based on where your reticle is in the center of the screen not necessarily where your guy is or how he's facing i ran into the same issue that i had to adjust to in conan exiles so uh anyway i i I still prefer first person but really appreciate the visual overhauls there's there's much more detail in the textures the color palettes are a little bit more varied they still have that kind of um sepia tone kind of vibe to it but um with um maybe not quite so super sepia (laughs) and uh and it just has a more detailed look to it and that makes exploration so much more enjoyable to me another thing that hasn't been talked about by anybody as far as i know but i really appreciate is they've changed the crunchy boot sounds oh my gosh i'm so happy i love those little foley sounds of crunching boots in video games and they were kind of stale and vanilla you know in the prior to this update but that's one of the first things i noticed before i even took in all the visual updates when i got out of my ship on a planet and my boots are going I was like oh my gosh I'm so happy (laughs) so uh, I've really been enjoying exploration a ton but a huge downside of it has been uh, <laughs> they've changed all the elements and all the recipes and taken away a bunch of what I once knew how to do as a result. Um, I'm having to kind of relearn a ton all over again. Like, okay, what element do I need to need to refuel my refuel my launch thrusters? Oh, I don't just need an element. I got to actually make something out of these other. Well, where, how where are these elements? How how rare are they? So I have I'm I'm almost starting from ground level again in terms of figuring out what elements are rare how easy it's going to be to get certain things what are going to be my go-to places to find the elements i need uh, in order to just get along in life <laughs> you know, in the world of no man's sky and so i spent like an entire evening uh, of playtime just kind of getting my feet wet again and i can 
I can I think I can understand why they might want to do that. This is the first time now the game has been on Xbox One, and so maybe they're kind of wanting everybody, you know, in the zeitgeist to be kind of, in a sense, starting over and and being kind of new at this, you know. Uh, maybe that's I I don't. Who can know? Who can know the minds of uh, genius developers? But uh, anyway, that initially was a big setback. But after about an evening of kind of like, you know, pushing through it and feeling totally like a beginner again, uh, I'm feeling like I'm getting back into a groove and getting to know the world again and figuring out what my next steps are. And I'm really enjoying the survival aspect, like this feeling of being on this hostile alien world where if I take off my helmet, I'm dead and you can't take off your helmet. But, you know, just that sense that I I was talking about in the in the Europa Report movie where it's like we are so freaking fragile and you just have an awareness of that with all the various weather conditions, too hot, too cold, poisonous, toxic, water, whatever the thing is that you got to survive in. You know, you're constantly having to adapt and figuring out, you know, what you need to be picking up as you're walking around to constantly be replenishing the things that keep you alive, you know. And so I, I am enjoying that more now than I did the first time I sat down to... Before, it felt a little bit like a nuisance, and this time around, I don't know, there's something that feels somehow pioneering to me about the survival aspect. I don't know if that's something about the game that's changed, or if that's something in me as a gamer and my tastes and interests that have changed in the last two years. So, uh, But I, I am really, really enjoying myself with this game now. I feel like I'm I'm just about ready to pick up where I left off. I still need to reconstruct the base that I had in the previous version. Um, they had to, just because they were reseeding and rebuilding kind of the entire universe, uh, they had to archive everyone's bases. But um, they give you kind of uh, the equivalent... Uh, technology and resources when you start out that you that you you know lost from before they kind of translate and you know all all of your equipment that you'd had into roughly the equivalents uh, to kind of get you back on track but there is kind of an adjustment period if you've had a saved game where you have to kind of uh, get yourself situated resituated again and back to kind of the status quo you had before so I'm right now in the middle of reconstructing the base that I once had and I had some actually some workers in there some specialists one a weapon specialist and one a construction specialist and one I think like a technology specialist and each one of those I had little quest lines from and all of those things are coming back online once I rebuild that part of my base then that specialist just kind of re-inhabits that part of my base instantly and the quest line is able to pick up again right where it left off and so that's what I'm doing right now and it might sound like oh that's a pain in the butt Pater but I'm I'm actually enjoying it I'm enjoying the reconstruction of the base that I I lost you know which I'm sure a lot of players are initially frustrated about the loss of those bases but uh, um, but I I, I think most players are going to be able to, to reconstruct that. And then I'm going to be off to the races again with the quest lines I left off and also the new quest lines that I'll be uh, able to pick up now. The one thing that I'm concerned about, and this is the big unknown, is what will happen if I get to a point where I have a question about some element that I don't know where to find it and I can't find that answer online. Um I think one thing that's helped me coming back to No Man's Sky, even before the, the, the next update, 
was playing Monster Hunter World and just getting used to the idea of playing a game that doesn't give you all the information you want in order to progress through it. And that uh, you are going to really, at least if you're a player like I, you know, a crappy player like I am, uh, you're going to need to take advantage of online resources and communities and wikis and stuff like that in order to figure out, okay, how do I get the Atlas Pass version 2? Because nobody's spelling that out for me, you know, so you got to find that answer online. Well, the way that you get the Atlas Pass version 2 or version 3 or some other thing uh, has all dramatically changed overnight. And so all of this information that had been building over the last two years in these online communities on how to find certain elements, like, where do I find this? What kind of planet is it on? Okay, what kind of plant or spot am I looking for? Is it going to be in a cave-type environment? Or do you, you know, all these kinds of tips that people could tell you so that you could have a, a real idea of what it is you're looking for instead of just wandering aimlessly for who knows how long before finding what you want. Um, they may not be available as fast as I want them to be now so far they have been so far as i've uh, i so far i think there are many more hardcore much more hardcore no man's sky players than i am who are not only playing the game but are sharing their knowledge online and they are moved their way ahead of me <laughs> you know and so i i think that me just playing you know maybe a couple hours a night uh each night i'm still going to be well behind the wikis as they're being reconstructed to compensate for all the major changes but if I'm wrong about that, that would would be a you know a, a significant roadblock for me that I think would would take me out of the game again for a while. And so that's the big question I have in my mind. You know, I have put before the No Man Sky next update came, I I was surprised to learn I'd put 60 hours into the game. So only about 20 when it first came out, and then with one or two of the larger updates, I I put in you know maybe a, a dozen or more hours in each of those times before kind of losing interest again um and so my big question is will this update be the one that really gets its hooks into me and makes this like a skyrim type experience or like what monster hunter world has been becoming in other words uh, an experience that is going to be uh over a hundred hours in fact likely hundreds of hours, you know, uh, is that what this game is going to become? And that would be really cool if it had that kind of uh, staying power. And I think it has the potential for that, just with all the little side quests that you can now pick up to basically just, you know, do jobs for different guilds and stuff like that and get rewards from them. Something as simple as that. I don't need a big story, just kind of like a reason to go out and get X and bring it back, you know. Uh, I just need that. <laughs> and if they can keep doing that, and if they can keep uh, a variety of elements to discover and blueprints to build, you know, I know that there's a ton of stuff. I, I haven't even gotten into building a land roving vehicle, which you can buy and build like massive tracks for. And uh, uh, I haven't bought a freighter yet that you can, you know, and you could, pe people have fleets. They have starship fleets that they own in this game. <laughs> <laughs> and that they send out on missions. There is like so much uh, in this game that I haven't even tapped into yet. Uh, so I have I have good reason to believe that I think it is going to be now, especially for me, someone that has only kind of dipped into it, you know, a few times since the initial launch. Um, I think there's just so much to discover here, and I just can't wait to find out if it's going to play out like I think it will. Um, 
The other thing that's really interesting that's going to interest me, and uh, I'm not planning on making you know this audio content as as a video. I think I'll just leave it as uh, content for the podcast. Um, but one thing I might make a video on, we'll see how it plays out, is what the language is around the studio Hello Games and Sean Murray and No Man's Sky. I hear the word redemption a lot or redeemed. Have they redeemed? Has Sean Murray redeemed himself? Has the game? Uh, no Man's Sky or Hello Games have they redeemed themselves um, and I, you know that always catches my interest because it just seems to be ingrained into us in our broken brains this idea that we can redeem ourselves self-redemption you know um, that is the thing that that, that is the standout uh, belief from Christianity, I think, that makes it, uh, not the only one, but a very striking one, that makes it hugely different from other philosophies and worldviews, you know? It almost, you could argue, is evidence for the, fa- for the fact that it is not, it's the one non-man-made religion, because it's got this component in it that is just alien to our natural thinking, alien to other worldviews, and that is that we don't redeem ourselves, we can't redeem ourselves. That really, as as free creatures living... Um, in service to a holy God who made us for his purposes, what we rightly owe him is perfect obedience, perfect love toward him, toward others around us, perfect consideration of others and their needs, their wants, their concerns, their preferences, perfect self-giving, self-sacrificing love and consideration for others. Um, and that's where you could you could argue that Sean Murray and uh, Hello Games and Peter Franson have failed to, uh, the, you know, when we, we kind of call them little accidents, oh, I ma- made a mistake of communication. Well, you know what? Honestly, if we spent less time entertaining ourselves and more, t- more time contemplating how we could better communicate and better be thoughtful toward others, um, if we had it in us to do that, then I think we wouldn't be making these kinds of communication blunders that honestly, in many, many cases, could be avoided if we just committed to prioritizing uh, different things in our lives, you know, but we don't. And so this stuff happens. And so all that to say, really, in the... Uh, being made by a holy God for his holy purposes, what we owe him every day is perfection. What we owe him every day is absolute allegiance. Um, and so we can't like make up for yesterday's rebellion by obeying perfectly today because we already owe perfect obedience to this holy God who made us for his purposes that we said, screw you two, I want to do life my way, you know? And so we can't redeem ourselves. Um, we need, we need him to redeem us. And uh, so I'm, I'm just always interested to see kind of what's the language going to be? What, what are, what's going to show up about how people view, um, themselves, their rights, what they are entitled to. There's all kinds of like moral language, virtue language that comes out of these controversies that I think is really telling, uh, about what the the natural mentality, the natural perspective is 
uh, among people and uh, and among us when we don't allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to correct us. So, so I'm going to be keeping an eye on that conversation and seeing if uh, if if it's even one that's generated in the mainstream uh, games media. But uh, anyway, that's all I have to say about it for now. Um, I, uh, I I'm not ready to say that I recommend this game, um, but uh, I I recommend it to me. I'm having a great time and. <laughs> Hopefully we'll uh, continue to do so. Feedback, feedback. Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? I got one of those. We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can. But we've got to hear from you to do that. You can send an email or audio file recorded on your phone to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. And again, as a reminder, guys, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you if I can. Uh, Online resources and communities uh, like Christian Geek Central or other places, they're a good supplement. But by nature, they cannot speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. Uh, You can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com and we can start by trying to look at some websites of churches in your area together. Uh, all right. Well, I will... There, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. Um, first off, stay tuned for DS9 Shwarma after the credits or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes at 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. Next week, there will be no podcast. Um, I'm going to be out of town uh, visiting some family and uh, and then also I've put some notifications up on the website spiritblade.com that uh, that physical orders physical product orders and gift code orders are not going to be processed again until I think I said August 6th maybe I don't know you can check uh, if, if you end up going to want to take advantage of the sale uh, you can still absolutely take advantage of that sale um, the sale is going to be running until the 31st so you could wait till I get back to but uh, anyway um, it's the it'll still take your order it just won't process your order because I'm the one who processes those so I need to be back in my office and uh, able to do that so uh, anyway just a heads up I'll be out for a little while but there will be a podcast uh, Friday August 10th Um, that's when we're going to be launching the Spirit Blade Productions Patreon and I'm also planning to review the animated movie The Death of Superman Uh, I guess they're taking another crack at this Years ago, one of the first DC animated movies that came out, I think, was uh, Superman Doomsday, which was a really jacked up version of the death of Superman story where he fights Doomsday. Um, And I did not like it at all. But I still, if you can get a copy of that cheap, I recommend it because of like the 20 minute at least I think it's 20 minutes, uh, d- documentary about the death of Superman's story when it came out in comics and just how what it was like for the writers and publishers to be writing that and seeing people react to that and stuff. So I think that's totally worth, you know, a few bucks if you can get the, you know, the, the cheap DVD of Superman Doomsday. But 
Um, I'm hoping this time around it'll be a proper treatment or a, at least a better treatment, a more faithful treatment. I don't know. Just something I'll enjoy more uh, that's based on that storyline. So I plan to review the animated DC movie The Death of Superman. I may also be sharing some thoughts on a little indie video game called Chasm, which is very much inspired by the Symphony of the Night uh, line of uh, Castlevania games that started with Castlevania Symphony of the Night and then they went to uh, Game Boy Advance and Nintendo DS. They're side-scrolling, but they're like Metroid, so there's no like infinite pits you fall into and there's lots of backtracking and unlocking areas and stuff, so very much like Metroid, but with RPG elements like level grinding and loot and stuff like that, so... Without those elements, I'm not really interested, you know, so like the whole Metroidvania trend has not interested me until I get verification that it's like Castlevania Symphony of the Night and has level grinding and experience and new abilities and loot and all that kind of stuff. And Chasm is, I think, the first game in a long time to actually be inspired by the Vania side of um, the Metroidvania trend. So, uh, anyway, I may have some thoughts on that. I'm not sure. Uh, I may have too much going on getting ready for the launch of the Patreon thing. But anyway, uh, till then, guys, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions by taking advantage of that audio drama sale at spiritblade.com or leaving us a donation there on our About page uh, at spiritblade.com. Thank you guys so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central Podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. Something's coming through the wormhole. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. No! Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here. And that was Soldiers of the Empire, or as I call it, how Martok got his groove back. A delightful little Klingon interlude. Um... This episode is a unique idea, which is we spend very little time on the station or with any Federation people other than Worf and Jadzia, and we spend almost the entire time on a Klingon ship. We visit Klingon ships, one, you know, we've had occasion where we spent time, Riker in The Next Generation spent part of an episode on a, a Klingon ship, but then that was visiting the alien ship, that was not like the setting, that was not our home. And it was, it was an interesting way to explore what goes on on their ship. Uh, we begin the episode where Martok is in the infirmary. He's getting healed from a training injury. And we find out that really he's lost a lot of what... Because if you remember, he was in two years. He was in a Dominion prison camp. He lost his eye. And it seems like he lost his fighting spirit too, as we find out further in the episode. Yeah, he basically had a lot of his hope and pride mashed down by the Jem'Hadar. There were these people who could beat him up in every way. They were stronger, smarter, faster, tougher than he was. And it just, 
it really killed his Klingon faith, for lack of a better yeah. word. Yeah, it's it, cautious spirit. He doesn't. He didn't realize it's a cautious spirit. So he's given command of a ship and sent on a rescue mission. He's, he invites Worf along, and Jadzia invites herself along. And so the rest of the story is slowly finding out that, that the ship called the Rotaran is actually a nice little parallel for Martok. It has a legacy of nothing but failure against the Dominion. It's, you know, they call it a cursed ship. Everyone on board is some sort of a misfit. It's sort of the bad news bearers of brutal Viking-like war in space. <laughs> and so you got, the, you got the, the loser with no spirit commanding the ship of losers. And I love when he's reading out the sins of the crew and he's like, Oh, we've got people on here. Dereliction of duty. Cowardice. Insufficiently aggressive. What is this, a prison roster? Yeah, it's like, it's like, who are you sending to your prisons if insufficient aggression is a mark of prisoners? Are, I mean, are Klingon prisons full of their nerds? No. I have a condition. I need my inhaler. I have tubes in my ears. You monster will lock you away. <laughs> but it's it's a good episode. It's a great exploration of mostly... I mean, there's some good on Worf here. He does some great things. I don't want to tell you where the story goes, but he does something really cool near the end. Um... But really, this is all about Martok, who would become a secondary character. Uh, he is the official Klingon liaison between the, the Empire and the station. But we've never really explored that since he's been here. But after this, he will be much more of a regular character, and he'll often be a major part of the storylines. Uh, so this, much like uh, much like how we've, we've been dealing with a lot, a lot. we've been seeing characters, Characters and subplots that had been set up, and now we're tying them off because uh, we're we're nearing the end of the season, and the beginning of next season is going to be Act Three of this entire series. And it's going to, so we're shedding a lot of the old stuff and turning things in new directions. So that's what a lot of this last yeah, of the we're season five. Tying up a lot of subplots to get ready for the big conflict. Yeah. We're we're either getting rid of old characters completely and old storylines, or we're redefining them to be ready for the new. It, it's very much a refining era in the show. And so it makes it makes sense the changes we see at the end of the show. And again, this show is excellent because it makes permanent changes. It takes chances. It doesn't just give us the same thing week after week after week. It's a storyline. I mean, there's a reason it's my favorite Star Trek. Not much to say about this. If you like Klingons, if you like the the rough, horny, the the throaty kind of manliness yeah, sort of thing, like, there's a lot of that. Like I said, they're very, they're very Vikings in space. And when they go into battle, they all sing their song. And Kim was squeeing, and she she loves that song. Ah. It's it's very it's like in Lord of the Rings. It's the Rohirrim, same idea. It's or like, like the, the dwarves singing in Bilbo's house. Yeah, or the dwarves, same idea. It's like this is manly, manly, manly. You know, crude jokes and, you know, I, well, free love, with the beer. And all that that. Is I love Dax interacting with the Klingon crew because in some ways she's more, she's more at ease with the other Klingons than Worf is. Yeah. You know, she's getting down there. She's making the coarse jests. She's, you know, <laughs> throwing the guy's plate aside. I sit here. You go to the other end of the table. Yeah, in this episode, Chadzi is not being irritating because she's not full of herself. When she's not being full of herself, she's not bad. So... All right, well, we'll see you next time for a nice depressing episode. Oh, boy. We'll see you then.